Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. We scored um, uh, to go up 100 to 99, but there were three seconds left. And when you give the greatest player that uh, I've known in the league uh, three seconds, he'll, he'll do what he did to us. And it, it, and it really changed the course of, of both franchises. That was 14-year NBA vet, former Washington State standout Craig Elo. He's today's guest. Welcome the Dan Dickow's Quarantine Series on the Scorebook Live Today podcast. As the world, particularly the world of sports, is shut down due to the coronavirus, we're ramping things up a notch here at Scorebook Live. Every weekday, Dan interviews an expert in the world of sports, from star hoopers and coaches like Steve Kerr, Jamal Crawford, and Doug Christie, to seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder Phil Heath. We hope you're entertained and maybe learn a thing or two as we navigate these uncertain times. The easiest way to tune in is by subscribing. In addition to our weekly Washington High School Sports News and Conversation podcast released Thursdays, hosted by myself, Andy Bueller, fellow reporter Todd Millis, Dan is bringing you interviews just like this one delivered five days a week. Head to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe for free, and while you're there, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Before we get to Dan's interview today, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Washington Federal. Washington Federal is a local bank and portfolio lender with more than 200 branches across eight states, more than 32,000 fee-free ATMs, 24-7 online and mobile banking with drive-up ATMs. And Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live. They care deeply about high school sports and the communities that support them across the entire state of Washington. Head to WFDBank.com to learn how they can help you meet your financial goals. That's WAFDBank.com. Washington Federal, a neighbor you can count on. We hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Now, Dan Dickow. (laughs) 
Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live Washington. Today, our podcast during our quarantine series where we continue to try to bring a unique guest who has a ton of experience or it can be considered an expert in the world of sports. Many times it's a current player, a former player, a coach, a broadcaster, maybe somebody who's in a front office and executive position. Um, today's guest can kind of hit all those check marks. Former player in the NBA for 15 years after starring at Washington State. He has coached at the high school, college levels, and he's been a broadcaster at the NBA and college levels. Uh, I'm lucky enough to say that I've known him for, hard to believe this now, almost 20 years. Craig Elo. <laughs> Craig, how you doing? Doing great, Dan. Yep, it's been uh, a while. You were just this young, young freshman in college when I met you uh, over in Seattle, so... Yeah, happy to be with you. Yeah, it, it's uh, it takes us both back quite a ways. I know uh, you mentioned being a freshman. I was at UW. You were with the Sonics, and there were times that I would uh, be able to go play pickup with you guys before uh, training camp started. And for yeah. a young college player trying to find their way, it was an awesome opportunity, an awesome experience to kind of stack up their skills. But then afterwards, get a chance to to talk with guys like yourself. Um, and then learn how they take care of their bodies. If you're in that position now, what would the advice be to a, a, a kid who wants to make it to the next level as far as work ethic, taking care of their body, uh, things that can separate them? Well, yeah, that, that uh, thing about taking care of your body was really much uh, at the end of my career uh, where we started, like when I was with the Sonics, we had a guy that juiced every morning for us. So whatever you wanted or needed, uh, he was able to do that. And then, um, you know, the, the training facilities were something that uh, came along at the end of my career too, where everything was kind of in-house. So the weight room, so the strength coach could get you either before practice or after practice to do uh, certain workouts with uh, with your body. And then uh, the, I think always after practice, all of a sudden we were icing everything. And uh, we even had one of those uh, barramical, I can't even say it, what's the, uh, the oxygen tank thing, Peyton? <laughs> uh wanted it so they got us one and yeah I've tried that a few times so there were a lot of new things going on when I was ending my career uh that would help you do that but as a freshman or, or a young kid coming out of high school uh exactly what you did I meant uh it was kind of a, a loose kind of a thing where you could just walk into the gym and and I guess you, you got to be known uh, like your name and you going to, to UW uh, to like let you in the door, I guess. But if you can, I meant force your way into something like that and do exactly what you just said. Uh, you know, ask questions and, and don't be shy. I think uh, you always people always thought like uh, when we uh, if you were in the NBA that they were kind of in awe of you that you weren't reachable. But. We're all human beings, and uh, I think anybody would offer any advice to you if you did walk up to them. Yeah, that is uh, the last piece that you mentioned there. I find that to be so true. Um, NBA players, for the most part, are very open and willing to help other players at their craft because they've had other guys help them out along the way. Yep. You now had a 15-year career, um, but when you were growing up in Texas – 
before you got to, to college, both the junior college and Washington State. Did you think there was ever any chance for Craig Elo to, one, become an NBA player and then have such a, a long and successful career like you had? Oh, it, it was a dream come true, actually, Dan. Uh, although as I was growing up in, in the 70s, I'm a graduate of high school from 79, um, there wasn't a lot of NBA games on TV and uh, maybe one a week, and that was like on a Sunday. And I can even remember watching um, one of the finals in the 1980s uh, with Magic Johnson and the Lakers uh, against Philly being taped delayed. So uh, it hadn't gotten the, the star uh, status that uh, it has now with all the games that you can watch. But um, I think I, I didn't really uh, watch the NBA, so I didn't really have that dream. I only dreamed about playing in college uh, after high school. And I wasn't physically, you know, I was like 6'5 and maybe 170 pounds soaking wet. So my uh, – and I played at a high school that we played really slow down. I mean, there was no shot clock, so we didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, the score could be in the 30s sometimes. So uh, maybe that was against me. But the junior college route was the perfect route for me because the first two years, if I would have gone to uh, any four-year D1 school, I probably wouldn't have gotten the playing time that I got in junior college uh, as a freshman and a sophomore. And uh, that was very beneficial to me. So I'm a big uh, fan of junior college. And then my big break came when the Pac-10 came knocking on my door. Uh, growing up in Texas, you know, Southwest Conference, there was a good, some good teams. Houston and, and uh, Texas always had uh, some, some pretty good players and good teams. But uh, the Pac-10, you know, had the UCLA's, the USC's, all that. And, things that you um, when I was growing up you know UCLA dominated so getting the opportunity to play at Washington State in the Pac-10 and uh, for coach George Raveling I remember what really sold me on Washington State was um, he just asked me if I could come help him win the Pac-10 and I thought wow he's thinking I can help him win the Pac-10 and we got close my senior year we were one game behind UCLA but uh, you know, it, it was a, a, a dream come true as far as, as playing at the college level. So I didn't really have the NBA uh, in my sights until after my senior year where Coach Rabbling got me into a few things like Portsmouth Invitational. Uh, Phoenix had a, a, like an all-star game. So uh, that's when it kind of became a reality that I was I, – I knew that I was going to actually get a chance by being drafted. So – yeah, in the 83 draft, uh, third round, Houston Rockets, uh, 48th player pick. So I got my break there. Isn't that funny how uh, all these years later, every player will remember where they were drafted <laughs> into what team. I could tell you the exact same thing. I could tell you, you know, where I was at the time. Um, and, and one of your good buddies, Greg Heister, was at my draft party that night. I'll have to tell you that story sometime as well. But you mentioned Coach George Raveling at Washington State. I don't yep. think he gets as much credit um, for being as good a coach and as good a person um, unless you're truly immersed in the game of basketball. I've had a few uh, times our paths have crossed, and he's a phenomenal human being. But you were recruited by him. You played for him. You had success with him. Talk a little bit about the impact that George Raveling had on you. 
Oh, well, first and foremost, I mean, he was a pioneer. Um, I mean, you can always, uh, when, when the like first black American, uh, uh, college coach, uh, that Washington state hired was George Rabling. And the only other, uh, maybe, uh, black coach that had a lot more, uh, notoriety was John Thompson at, uh, Georgetown. But when those two, you say those two names, uh, they're kind of synonymous because of the time frame that they, they started in. And he, he was just an incredible, uh, human being. He got the knock of just being a recruiter and not really a coach with philosophy and that kind of thing. But I tell you, Dan, he was, um, he, 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 at practice, he did everything. Uh, the first 15 minutes were all life skill things where he just sat down and talked anything other than basketball. And then when we got into practice, I mean, he drilled fundamentals into us. And then um, his, you know, defensive strategy was hard nose trapping, uh, kind of get in your face uh, kind of defense. And um, he was a student of the game, even when he had been a, a coach uh, for, for many years. I mean, he was always learning new things and, and, and uh, getting uh, everything from other coaches. And uh, Bobby Knight uh, in 84 selected him as an assistant coach uh, for the Olympic team. So, uh, he was more than just a basketball coach, though, because he did take time. Like, I think we met with him like once a week uh, in his office where we could talk about girls. We could talk about school. We could do all of that. But uh, I will give him uh, the, the A plus for the recruiting uh, bit, though, because he could sell you some swampland in Louisiana if you had if he had to, to get you to come to, to play for him. That's awesome. I, I love hearing stories uh, about coaches that maybe uh, the younger generation don't know as much about, yet they should. I want to fast forward now to your, your college career, or excuse me, your NBA career. You started in Houston, uh, but you didn't really become uh, a household name nationally until your time with the Cleveland Cavaliers. That Cl Cleveland Cavalier team to me was very similar to John Stockton's jazz teams or the, the early 2000s. Sacramento Kings teams where they were just loaded. They were unbelievably good, but probably at the wrong time because somebody else was uh, a more dominant team or a player. Um, tell me about how good you guys were. And obviously with right now, the last dance, the documentary on Michael Jordan, and the Bulls coming out, how you guys just couldn't get over the hump against the Bulls. Yeah, it was it was uh, insane, Dan. And uh, I got to tell you though, my um, one of the best uh, experiences I had was my last year in Houston, and uh, where we played in the NBA Finals. I mean, we had Lajuan and Sampson, and and uh, the Boston Celtics beat us four games to two. So that'll always be like the highlight of my career. I mean, I didn't play a lot in that series, but uh, experience in the NBA Finals was pretty cool. And uh, then uh, I realized I was expendable. Uh, you know, the NBA is a business. And uh, at that time, there were only 12 guys on the roster. And um, they were, you know, there was no salary cap, but they, they were talking about, you know, saving money, basically. So that's made me expendable. But I got picked up by the Cavaliers and Coach Lenny Wilkins. And it was a startup uh, kind of a company, uh, if you want to 
use that kind of phrase, but uh, they drafted Brad Doherty, Ron Harper. They traded for Mark Price, and uh, they had drafted a young man, Hot Rod Williams, the year before that had to set out. So we had four rookies uh, that were uh, the nucleus of the team, and then Coach uh, Wilkins was hired to kind of put this team together. So, uh, yeah, it started in 86, 87, and uh, we had all the pieces. Big Brad was a, a great passing center and, and a good scorer down low, and we could go through the post. Uh, Mark Price, I uh, meant, uh, you know as well as I do, you kind of uh, emulated some of uh, his game and your game. So, uh, I mean, this guy was – he was a dead-eye shooter. He was killer at the free throw line and uh, very competitive. And then, you know, Harper was just inc- insane. His uh, talent was uh, off the chart, I mean, offensively. And uh, he was a, a star piece uh, of that puzzle. So the first few years, we took our lumps. I think we won 40, 42 games first three, two or three years. And then all of a sudden, we kind of had this breakthrough season when uh, they actually traded for Larry Nance. And, and we became a uh, – he had a veteran leadership. So uh, we won 57 games in, in the year that we actually lost to uh, – Michael and the shot uh, with the Bulls. Uh, we there was no expansion, so there was just, you know still few teams in the league, and we played them six times because they were in our division, and we beat them all six that season, and we were the three, we were the sixth seed, and um, you know they they came in, they stole a game from us, you know they had that guy Michael Jordan, and then Scottie Pippen was uh, kind of his compliment. Uh, uh, like Robin and Batman, I guess you want to say. And um, it, they got another piece of, uh, of their puzzle when they traded Oakley to uh, New York for Bill Cartwright in a big center. And it, it was incredible because uh, the, having played them and, and getting the opportunity to compete against the best uh, guy like that, uh, I got to guard Michael all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was such a, a great challenge uh, that anyone would want to, you know, be in my shoes. So, uh, but that series was, you know, the best of five in, in, in my time in the league. And uh, when you steal a game at home uh, against the opponent, uh, you're always, you know, the one chasing from then on. And, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, and came down to that game five, and, and it was an uh, amazing game. I mean, we had 20, 21,000 fans in there. It was so loud and it was a nip and tuck, you know, they'd score, we'd score kind of a thing. And the last two minutes were uh, actually a chance where they left me open, hit a few threes. And uh, then we ran this great uh, out of bounds play that, that we scored um, uh, to go up a hundred to 99, but there were three seconds left. And, when you give the greatest player that uh, I've known in the league uh, three seconds, he'll, he'll do what he did to us. And it, it, and it really changed the course of, of both franchises. Uh, Magic Johnson called us the team of the 90s just because of the nucleus and, and the way that we played. And with Coach Wilkins leading us, um, he thought we would win some championships. But uh, one shot kind of took the, the wind out of our cell. And then um, even before we couldn't get past the Bulls, Dan, uh, we were chasing the Pistons. Uh, we never played them in the playoffs, but uh, the Pistons were, won a couple of championships there in the late 80s and early 90s. And then uh, Chicago kind of paid their dues going against them. And 
And, uh, yeah, we wound up playing Chicago a couple more times in the playoffs, and uh, we just didn't have um, what it took to, to get by him. It seemed like he always uh, – Michael always upped his game to, you know, 55, 50 points. I can remember uh, some of those uh, outputs. But, um, it, I mean, when you look back, uh, we, we did have a great rivalry with them. And, you know, the Knicks never got past them either. Uh, when the when the Bulls were playing, the only time that they got past them was the year he retired and thought he was going to play baseball, <laughs> and, and uh, they made it to the finals. So, uh, but after that, they win three more championships. So, I mean, yes, we had a, a nucleus that could have won some championships, but it's amazing what one kind of shot like that that uh, he hit on us uh, changed our franchise. Yeah, that shot, um, 1989 playoffs, I remember it. I was 11 years old at the time, and it was uh, unbelievable. <laughs> really quick, can you take me back? Because I believe it was out of a timeout. Am I correct? Yeah. Yep. What was Coach Lenny Wilkins' message in that timeout about how to guard whatever you guys thought they were going to draw up? Well, uh, we had the luxury of uh, we had one timeout left also. So uh, we knew that in that after I scored on that basket and, and put us up, uh, we knew that when we went to the timeout that we were going to wait and see what they set up in and then call our own timeout and then discuss strategy. So the first timeout, when they took it, uh, we just came out, saw the, the setup or the lineup and, and where the guys were. And when uh, we called timeout and went to the huddle, uh, that was when Coach Wilkins thought at that point, because um, Michael was on the uh, top of the key, Brad Sellers was throwing the ball in, Pippen, Cartwright, and Craig Hodges were all on the baseline. So we knew that they were trying to get the ball to Michael. So we decided to double team with Larry, uh, take him off the ball. And I probably, and I was behind him, so I probably, you laxed a little bit on my defense because I thought Larry would kind of be staying in front of him face gardening, but he kind of went to the right and Larry kind of went with him and felt kind of uh, stumbled away from him. And then all of a sudden I was all by myself with him uh, when he caught the ball on the wing and um, everybody else was on the baseline. So I didn't have a lot of help uh, on that uh, particular uh, play and Sure enough, when I ran out to catch him on the wing, he was already coming back with a couple of dribbles to the free throw line where he, he stopped and went straight up. And I wasn't sliding like defensive slides uh, you work on all the time. I was kind of running to catch up to him. So he jumped, I jumped, but I was my momentum was carrying me past him. He waited until I got past him. And as soon as my hand left and he saw the rim, uh, you know, it fell in and you see him uh, do that iconic Nike Gatorade, everything, that fist pumping and, and his team coming out to help him. And I kind of just fell to the sidelines because, um, like I said, we were uh, won 57 games that year and finished second to the Pistons and, you know, we're a higher seed. And, I mean, it, you know as well as I do, when your season ends, it, it just – you don't want it to end. And I just kind of sat down and thought, like, oh, no. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was uh, it was an amazing play because uh, it was pretty simple, just like our play was simple uh, before it. And uh, but it was um, you know mano y mano, I guess, uh, when it came down to it. And uh, I think his his uh, 
vertical is a little bit higher than mine. So, and he could stay in the air a lot more. So I'm going to give, I'm going to give myself credit for giving him air Jordan <laughs> on, on that. Well, I love, uh, I love hearing you, you detail out the intricacies of that last play. But one thing I don't think you probably get enough credit for is how competitive you were as a player. And I say that because before we jumped on this phone call, I looked up something really quick. You had a career high of 31 in the NBA three separate times. <laughs> Harper was one. Dominique Wilkins was another. And the third was against Michael Jordan. Do you remember that game? Oh, yeah. I mean, and uh, actually, I, I think if you look, uh, if, if it's the game I remember, it was his high point game. He had 69 uh, in that game. And it was an overtime game. So, um, I, you know, he got uh, five extra minutes to get that. But, yeah, I mean, again, um, the way the Bulls kind of played their defense in that particular uh, game, uh, he, they kind of left me open. Uh, they they would leave me and uh, go double team Price or Harper or Brad, and we had a great passing team, and they always found me. And uh, so yeah, I hit some big shots uh, in the, in that game, uh, a lot of threes uh, at that time. So uh, you know that's the biggest thing I can say is that if they leave you open, make sure you make the shot, and and uh, that, I got to do that a couple of times against uh, the Bulls. Awesome, awesome. Hands and feet always ready as a shooter. Last thing I want to uh, ask you about uh, before I let you go, and we really appreciate your time, is um, after you were done playing, you were involved in broadcasting at the NBA level, you were involved in broadcasting at the college level, uh, but you coached at high school and the college level. I always find it very refreshing when I see somebody that, that has your experience going back and coaching at the high school level. You did that at Rogers High School in Spokane uh, for, for a couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. What was that experience like, and, and what advice would you give to a high school coach at this day and age? Oh, gosh, Dan. Uh, we moved over in 1999 uh, from Seattle, the last team I played on. And um, uh, that first year we, we were here in Spokane, the principal uh, at Rogers lost his teacher coach uh, at the end of August with school starting and he, uh, the principal, uh, Mr. Williams was, uh, my wife's, uh, student counselor when she was in high school at Lewis and Clark. So he knew that we moved back. And, uh, so he gave me a call and said like, Hey, we can have an out of building coach and I'm kind of stuck right now. Would you like to, to do that? And I was, ecstatic I could not tell you how uh, happy I was to to be at the high school I really didn't know any background on Rogers that uh, you know that uh, they suffered through uh, all their sports or uh, teams had not done well so I knew when I went into it that it, it, I was going to be um, you know fighting uh, an uphill battle I guess but in high school, you you know you're dealt the cards um, that you got to play with. I mean, kids, uh, uh, you don't have a choice of who's who you got on the team. But uh, I took all those experiences that Coach Raveling uh, did for me uh, when I was a player and tried to implement those uh, at Rogers and tough area. You know, low income. Uh, you know, there was uh, 
a big dropout rate. So I tried to instill some life uh, skills in them uh, more than just basketball. But that first year, uh, we were 0 and 20, Dan, and I, I didn't have a guy that could even make a layup. <laughs> and so it, it was, I knew that I had to work in the, in the summers with them and take them to the, to the tournaments and, and, uh, that, uh, everything on the weekends. And we did, we got better. And by the last year, um, we, we did make uh, the district playoffs. And it was because uh, of the players working hard in the off season. And then when uh, practice was, uh, uh, we didn't, it was always wanting to scrimmage, but we, we couldn't really scrimmage if we couldn't handle the basketball or play defense. So we did a lot of work on, on that. So everything I learned through all my coaches uh, came to head when I, when I was at, high sc- at the high school level. And uh, I just really enjoyed it. It was so rewarding. We didn't win a lot of games, but uh, just having those kids kind of look up to you and have them lead, uh, you know, say lead us um, was an an incredible feeling. So a very rewarding experience at Rogers High School uh, for three years. And um, they were asking me to become a teacher uh, so they could keep me in the house and that meant going back to school and I was just not ready for that. And that's when I got my big broadcasting break with Q6 and putting all y'all, you young pups uh, on at the old kennel. And I I was a sideline reporter, basically. I was the sideline guy when Jeff Brown and Heister were uh, at the table. So that uh, leaving Rogers uh, after three years of a high school coach, uh, the broadcasting came right behind it. That's awesome. I, I love to hear, you know, like I mentioned, experienced uh, guys who, who have a great heart to help others jump back in the high school game such as that. Craig, I, I truly appreciate the time. Um, hopefully you and your family are staying safe and um, appreciate you joining me today on our uh, Score Live Washington Today podcast. Yeah, it was a real pleasure, Dan. And uh, yeah, anytime you need, I hope this quarantine doesn't go much longer. But uh, I mean, you and I, it doesn't affect us. We're on that uh, seasonal schedule anyway. So uh, we're in our off season, so it doesn't really uh, hurt us. But yeah, stay safe and keep your family uh, healthy and get your uh, barbershop open. I need a haircut. (laughs) That'd be great. And I will say this. Uh, enjoy the rest of the last dance because when that comes on next Sunday night and the next few Sundays after that, I don't answer my phone. No kids are allowed to talk. It's focused in on the TV. Yeah, no, it, I, it's amazing. I actually called uh, Steve Kerr the first night uh, and asked him about, like, do you remember them following y'all around for this for that whole season? And he was like, yeah, but um, I don't think we ever knew it was going to be a big documentary, uh, you know, 20 years later or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great thing to watch because he will forever be uh, linked – to uh you know what he did for for the nba and um now a whole new generation of kids will see what he accomplished uh, through this last dance yeah I, I agree as good as lebron is uh as good as kobe was there is only one and there will ever only be one michael jordan <laughs> yeah he he was yeah i think the thing it's when it's no uh when you get notary, uh, notary like that, it's it's like being the first is, is the novelty of it, I guess. So 
uh, and he was, he was the first that really took it to another level. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, Craig. And uh, yeah, stay safe and hopefully I'll see you again soon. Yeah. Take care, Dan. Thanks. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.